Welcome to episode 154 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast, the Back in the Smoke edition. Fortunately, we're back in some smoke here. I'm Chris. Joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the nighttime sky, and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. So it seems like we're back in the smoke, Shane. Yeah, it's weird. I, I was um, helping my brother move some appliances yesterday and, and uh, could notice it quite a bit during the day. And then it yeah, kind of took away the sky in the evening. All I could see last night, I was outside for quite a while last night, actually. And uh, the only thing visible was the moon and occasionally Jupiter. Um, everything else was washed out. I, it wasn't all smoke up there. There was definitely some cloud as well. Um, yeah. but yeah, uh, it looks like you mentioned California here in the notes and, uh, it looks like there's a bunch of, uh, fire activity in kind of Idaho, Montana, again, more, mostly Montana. So, um, yeah. it looks like though, this is short lived. Like, I don't think we'll have to deal with it for much longer. No, hopefully not. I mean, you know, first of all, for anybody who's, who's being more impacted than those of us who are just not trying to look at stars, but people whose homes may be threatened or livelihoods or lives. I mean, that's not, that's not good, but uh, we definitely want it cleared out for them most of all. But uh, yeah, as our wind shifts direction, we'll probably, we'll probably be back in, uh, in the clear skies here before uh, too long. Yeah, exactly. I think Monday night is, or yeah, Monday night here is supposed to be pretty clear. And then I think we have a bit of a, a clear stretch after that. So hopefully get some good looks at Jupiter and Saturn. Cause um, you know, we probably only have what, a few weeks left. I think a decent observing of those two planets before they start, you know, getting too low in the West. Um, Cause they're not that high right now, at least for you and no. I. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I want to get a, as many good views in as I can before they're, they're done for the year. Yeah. Well, if it looks like it's going to be good tomorrow night, it does. If, if it's, if it's panning out, then I may just come back out here. Cause, um, I have a long day tomorrow. I start so early. There's no point even trying to get up and go to work. Um, cause it's just, it's like a very early start for me anyway. And so I'll be done around mid afternoon. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just take a run out here and, uh, and do a session out here. You're welcome to join me if I end up doing that. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, if, if if it's just planetary observing, I don't mind the backyard then for uh, convenience factors. But, yeah. um, you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm all set up out here. So it's it's actually easier for me to drive here and observe than it is to set up in the backyard because uh, I don't have any telescopes at home. So. Oh, yeah, that makes it difficult to, to observe that. Yeah, yeah. I get up at 4 a.m. I had hope. Today, but the hope or was really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was I could see two stars. I think one was Cirrus. Uh, um, okay. Maybe one was uh, like Rigel or something like that. But they were then they were cutting through the trees. And again, you know, it's not very clear. Even even if there was no smoke, it wouldn't be that clear between the smoke and the cloud. It's uh, uh, it's not that clear at all here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing I saw last night was a space station. It transited overhead and, uh, that was it. Uh, although the moon did look very cool, you know, it sort of had that orangey to red tone to it. Um, you know, the, this time of the year, yeah. is, I think this was, or we're getting into the harvest moon, I think. And, um, you know, our, our harvest moon is, it's quite pretty when it rises, you know, it has that orangey tint when it's lower in the atmosphere, but because of the smoke last night, it was orange all night. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Oh, I'm just thinking now, I think we're going to get together and work on my mount. So I may be stealing views from you tomorrow night instead of coming out here. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah, no problem. We're still on for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can take a look at your mount. I, I still haven't watched any of those YouTubes. I've been busy, uh, well beyond busy, but okay. uh, yeah, we'll figure it yeah. out. Yeah. Same, same here. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of scrambling here, get, getting online out here. The internet is, is spotty at best. Took me, took me a little while. So my, my man has had some issues. I did sort one of them out and that was with the, uh, the little Celestron power tank. And I'm not really sure why I couldn't get it powered on last weekend, but I did get it powered on here uh, just before um, we recorded. And uh, I don't know, I kind of didn't have things together and maybe I just got some moisture or something on the cable and it just didn't complete the connection or something because I did have the battery on when I tried it, but just tried it sitting here right before we recorded and had power, no problem. And had power through the other ways and yeah anyway so looks like power isn't an issue it's still just that um that binding sound i guess is, is the only way to put it yeah yeah well once we open it up hopefully we can find the cause of it and and rectify it um you know if it is something just as simple as cleaning it out like some metal filings that's you know that'll be awesome because that's easy if it's something else um i guess we'll have to figure it out when we know more yeah. Yeah. I think it will be, I think it'll be obvious once we take the plastic cover off and we should be able to see there, there's two spots. There's like a motor and a set of gears and that sort of thing. And people seem to um, take them apart and just clean them and then, and then report no problems after they do that. So I kind of think that's probably what's happening there. So yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I'm happy the power tank isn't an issue. Got a question for you on the power tank live yeah. on the air. Yeah. <laughs> so it's got it has two usb connectors yep one of the usb connectors says uh five volt slash 2.1a the other one says five volt 1a what does that mean oh gee well i you think that the, the well with the ab amps i, I don't know but like 2.1 mm -hmm. is also like a usb standard um I don't know. I don't know what that means. I, I don't have mine handy. My power tank is in, in a closet and, uh, otherwise I would look at it, but I, I don't recall seeing yeah. that on mine. My, I've had mine for a few years. So maybe it's a, a new thing yeah, that they put on there. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Cause I thought that was, and then I saw one, a, but they both look like they're the same size. So maybe they just ran out of silk screen. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Maybe <laughs> something like that. So I'm sitting here, I'm watching the leaves coming down. They're coming mm -hmm. down. They were coming down last week. Now the leaves that were coming down last week are completely off those two trees. And I can see other leaves coming down off the, the other trees. The bushes still have mostly green leaves on them, but uh, it's strange. I, I, you know, we haven't had any weather below zero, just one day where we touch zero briefly. And then we're, uh, we're up to 30 degrees yesterday. I mean, it was downright hot. So 33 here, actually. Yeah. Yeah. We hit 33 here in the city as well. Yeah. Pretty warm. So it, it is, it is different here though. Like as far as the temperature swings go, cause you go right from being high twenties, low thirties, um, you know, we get more and more cooler days, but nothing really that cold. And then suddenly you'll see like snow in the forecast and you think there's no way it can snow. 
you know, that's impossible. You'll, you'll get the two week forecast here next week and there'll be snow in there somewhere. It, there always is at the end of September. And, uh, and sure enough, we, I, I can't recall the year where we didn't get some snow the first two weeks of, of October, just even a few centimeters. It's, it's mind blowing to think here we are sleeping with all the windows and doors open kind of thing. And, and in three weeks, um, you could be shoveling your deck off, you know? <laughs> yeah, it can come quickly. Um, usually though, the, the snow that actually stays doesn't come until much later, you know, November, uh, timeframe. Um, so hopefully we have, a, an extended fall and we can observe in, in, you know, relative comfort in terms of warmth. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to, uh, one of the neighbors yesterday and they were instructing me how to, how to keep this place warm for the winter so we can do astronomy out here. So we're getting all set up for that. Awesome. Looking forward to that. Should yeah. be good. So you, you've got some big news. Yeah. So, um, I've been on this Bino viewer path or, or returning to the Bino viewer path. And I've mentioned it on quite a few episodes. And, uh, I guess probably the last update was I ordered the, um, the Bader Max Bright 2. Um, but the supply chain issues that, you know, many industries are experiencing uh, is applicable to the astronomy hobby as well. And uh, good luck trying to find a pair of these Max Bright vinyl viewers. Um, mm. So I'm on a wait list. I, I really can't get a clear answer as to when I will receive this. It, you know, it was supposed, like I ordered it in May. And at that time, it was supposed to come, uh, I think, by July, sometime in July. So, you know, we're two-thirds of the way through September, and I still haven't received it. And um, I can't really, like I say, I really can't get a clear answer as to even like a ballpark time frame when it might come. Um, yeah. So, with all of that being said, um, one of my uh, astronomy friends or acquaintances uh, contacted me. He, he's an older gentleman that has been in the hobby for a long, long time, but um, some health issues are preventing him from using all of the gear that he has. Um, so he's selling a lot of it. And, um, uh, part of that is, a, a, a Dankmeyer, uh, Bino viewer. I'm not sure which version it is. It's one of the earlier ones. Like it might be the Dankmeyer standard or, or maybe a Dank two. I'm not sure, but, um, mm -hmm. um, anyway, he asked if I was interested and I said, well, yeah, I think I am because, you know, I'm not sure if or when I'll get this uh, Bader uh, Max Bright. And, um, you know, I, I when it comes to some of this gear, like we've said before, you, you kind of split hairs when you start, you know, switching and upgrading and all that sort of stuff. So I, I don't know if it'll be a huge difference uh, between what I'm getting uh, versus the Max Bright, but um, uh, so yeah. that's on the way. I think I'll have it potentially this coming week. Um, and oh, it comes. Wow. It comes with all of the adapters, so I can use it with refractors and reflectors. And he also has um, uh, an adapter to use it with um, the Coronado PST solar telescope. Um, oh, not, cool. Yeah, I don't have a PST, but my, I know my Lunt uh, does not work with a Bino viewer unless you have a bunch of special adapters. So maybe this, this PST thing will work on the Lunt because they're my little Lunt and the PST are very similar. Um, so we'll see yep. if that, uh, allows me to vinyl view there, because I think vinyl viewing with H alpha would be just absolutely phenomenal. Um, that would be. yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, he also had some pairs of eyepieces that he asked if I would be interested in. So I said, yes, sure. Throw those in too. 
Um, so, um, two, two matched, uh, 24 millimeter pan optics are coming with it. Uh, I already have a pan optic, but there's actually, there's, I don't think a lot of people know this, but there's, um, there's two versions of the 24 millimeter pan optic. Um, and it's really, it's more like generational and the only way to really tell, well, two ways, uh, the, uh, kind of the physical way is, is the undercut, I think on the newer version, one of the bevels is angled as opposed to like a sharp sort of 90 degree undercut. Um, and then that, that's like one of the, the main identifiers, but I guess the older pan optics have a little bit more of that, um, that telltale teleview, uh, coffee tone, you know, it's a little, a little warmer of a view. Um, so anyway, I thought, you know, I like, but with vinyl viewing, I would want two 24 millimeter pan optics because um, that's the widest field of view that I'll get in a vinyl viewer. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I think just about all vinyl viewers are inch and a quarter. I think there's some rare birds out there or, or rare unicorns uh, that actually accept two inch eyepieces, but you know, two inch uh, vinyl viewing to me seems a little nuts because of the balance issues. Like you'd be hanging a lot of weight on the back of the telescope um, you'd need a very yeah. substantial focuser to be able to handle that. Uh, just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. so anyway, I, I would need to get another pan optic and, and, uh, you know, these two that he's, uh, including, um, just helped me out a little bit and, and the price was, uh, uh quite reasonable. Um, and then also th- these ones I'm, I'm far more skeptical of, but, um, I'm getting two 13 millimeter, uh, T6 Naglers, uh, with it as well. Um, yeah. So the reason I'm skeptical is just the eye relief. Like I think the eye relief on those is 12 millimeters. Um, yeah, but, uh, again, the, the price was very reasonable and I thought I'll, I'll give them a try. See if I, um, see if I don't mind them without glasses. Cause my astigmatism really isn't too bad and, uh, see what yeah. they look like. And then, um, and then I was also able to acquire a couple more TMB super monos, uh, six millimeter and an eight millimeter. So then I have two pair or pairs of sixes and pairs of eights for vinyl viewing uh, with those. So wow, quite excited to get all this rolling. That is very exciting. That is super, super cool. So, so maybe let's talk about why you're getting a binary view. Didn't you have them before? Well, twice before, in fact. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I know. What am I doing? Right. Um, So so, um, where to answer that or how to answer this? Um, I guess the, so why binal view, you know, you use two eyes instead of one. It it's, uh, there's probably two primary reasons I think to do this. Number one is just comfort. Um, you know, I think all of us have experienced the, uh, kind of the eye fatigue that you get when mono viewing, uh, you know, with one eyepiece, like, um, when I was out at your place, Chris, a couple of weeks ago, I started to get this eye fatigue towards the end of the night where I, I like, I actually have to hold my eyelid closed on my non-observing eye. Um, mm. and it just becomes more comfortable towards the end of the night because just using those, like, I don't know, I guess those eyelid muscles like that, just, I don't know. It, it, it becomes very uncomfortable by the end of the night for me. Um, if you, uh, maybe you should start attaching like those lead weights for fishing. You can start working out with those. <laughs> Maybe that's the answer. <laughs> tape, tape them to my eyelids. Um, so, so that like the comfort aspect is, is a big part of it. And then the other one 
if if you have like really bad um, floaters in your eyes, or if you have floaters that just annoy you, and and those typically pop up when you're observing the planets, um, observing with two eyes typically gets rid of that, and then you don't have to deal um, with the uh, with the floaters bothering you. Um, because you usually only have floaters in one eye or, or really bad in one eye. And then your brain sort of cancels that out when two eyes are being used. Um, so those are the primary, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, no, that makes total sense. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, I've gone down this path a couple of times before the first time was with the, um, it, it's a William optics spinal viewer. It's still being sold. It comes with a couple of eyepieces. Um, but I couldn't, uh, I had issues getting it to focus in some of my telescopes. Um, and at that point in time, I really didn't feel like making the investment into, um, multiple pairs of eyepieces and it just didn't really appeal to me. Um, so I sold it and mm -hmm. then second time around, I thought, let's give this another try, but I'll get, you know, a, a, a much better bino viewer. And maybe the quality of that bino viewer uh, will convince me to, to start observing like this. So what I bought was the, uh, the, bino, the Dankmeyer Binotron 27, which is the latest Dankmeyer um, bino viewer. It came with a power switch, which is like your filter slider, but um, mm -hmm. it has like, a, I think it has, because it, it, one of the issues with bino viewers is it increases your magnification on a refractor, like by usually one and a quarter times. Um, so this power switch mm -hmm. brought it down to one times, uh, allowed mm -hmm. for the one and a quarter, but then also provided like a 1.75 or two times. So kind of almost like a, a Barlow and you would just slide this thing to go between magnifications. So it was pretty cool. Like I had my, uh, I had a pair of, uh, 24 millimeter pan optics at that time. Um, so I would put those in and then I just use this power slide or the, the, yeah, the power slide and, and it worked quite well. Um, but the thing that annoyed me, um, was that there's definite light loss. Like I remember one night I was looking at Saturn with the bino viewers and views where I was standing. It was, it was really, really nice. Um, and then I thought, you know, I wonder what it would look like just mono viewing. And as soon as I put in one eyepiece that was about the same magnification, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, there's Titan. Why didn't I see Titan before with the bino viewer? So put the bino viewer back in. And sure enough, Titan was there, but my gosh, like it was, it was quite dim compared to the mono view. Um, yeah. So that really turned me off of, uh, of bino viewing. And that is one of the detractors is there's light loss because 50% uh, of the light goes into one eye and 50% of the light goes into the other eye. But because there's so many prisms within the bino viewer, you know, each bounce, you're, you're losing a little bit of light. And, and uh, as such, the, the brightness of the views are diminished a little. Um, so, so anyway, that, that was sort of the, I don't know, it, it just really turned me off. So I sold everything and in hindsight, I should have just, I should have observed a lot more with it to really determine whether or not I liked it. Um, the, uh, the Binotron 27, one of the selling features is that it's collimatable, but I found like I was having to adjust collimation way too frequently, <laughs> like every session. And I don't know if I was doing something wrong, but mm. I just like, that's why I kind of stopped using a refractor or sorry, a reflector, because I got sick and tired of all of the messing around with that type of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. so the other thing though, that I should have done, I only used those 24 millimeter panoptics because that was the only, 
um, uh, the only pair of eyepieces I had. Now, fast forward, this was years ago. So fast forward to today, um, you know, I've had a lot more experience using orthos and now these TMB super monos. And I can say that there is a noticeable difference uh, with, with uh, how deep you can go. Like you do get a little bit more brightness with these eyepieces. Uh, they show you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, carrying or continuing down this path, I, I started to get curious about bino viewing uh, with simpler glass, like with orthos and with TMB super monos. And, um, mm-hmm. when I, uh, so this acquaintance that I'm buying the dank from, um, you know, I asked him that I said, how do the views like between the super monos and the pan optics and the naglers and all this stuff, how do they differ? Like, do you see a little bit more with the simpler glass or, or does more light seem to come through? And, and he, he said, without question, he felt that the, uh, the simpler glass did allow more light to come through. So, um, I thought I'd go down this path again, you know, put together some pairs and, uh, see how much I like it because the, the comfort value alone is, it makes it a very, uh, intriguing proposition. Like if I can get, uh, the views through the vinyl viewer to a point where I'm satisfied, you know, in terms of the brightness coming through, um, this may be how I do a lot of my observing, uh, particularly from the backyard, um, because, you know, Planets, moon, double stars uh, are, are really good objects for bino viewers. Um, but I am extremely curious how they work under a dark sky at your site, looking at uh, globulars and, and nebula and uh, galaxies, you know, some deep sky objects, just to see how they do um, with those objects. Mm. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I'm excited to get going with that. Um, so like I say, hopefully they come this week. And if it's not this week, it should be early next week. And I will have more to talk about once I start using them. And and maybe just to... Uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, do you think you'll... What scope do you think you'll end up using the most in? Well, um, that that's a good question. Like aperture... You, like the best combination with vinyl viewers is a lot of aperture. Um, like typically you want to use these with big reflectors. Um, so the largest refractor I have, uh, largest telescope I have is 120 millimeters. Um, but I would like to try them on the TAC 76. Um, like lots of people vinyl view with small telescopes. In fact, um, uh, Thomas on cloudy nights, um, he talks about how wonderful vinyl viewing is on his 63 millimeter telemeter, um, old acromat. Um, so, you know, oh. any, any telescope can be used for bino viewing. Um, it's just a matter of, of, uh, trying it out, I suppose, but so I'll likely try it on all of them. Um, and just see, mm. see how I like it. I, I do have quite oh. a few pairs of eyepieces that I've put together. Like I'll have the 24 millimeter pans. I'll have the, the 13 millimeter naglers. And then I have uh, eight and a half millimeter uh, Pentex XFs. So that sort of covers off a lot of the wide field uh, bino viewing that I would do. Um, but then with yeah. the simple with the simple glass, uh, I've got 25 millimeter orthos, 18 millimeter, 12 and a half, uh, nine millimeter. Uh, so I have pairs of all of those. And then uh, uh, the TMB super monos, I have the eights and sixes. So um, the simple glass, I've got quite a wide spectrum of focal lengths that I'll get to play around with and see how they work. 
Cool. Yep. Sound like you were going to say something else there before I. Yeah. Sound like you're going to say something else before I cut you off there. No, I was just going to mention the uh, the pairs that I had um, to to play around with. Okay. Yeah. I so I viewed through I think about six or seven binary viewers over the years, uh, including at least at least one of yours. Yep. And uh, you know, I, I always thought like on a, the very first view I ever had through a binary viewer was uh, was using a I think it was a ten or eleven inch uh, Schmidt I think it was a, a ten inch Mead and I couldn't believe it. Like you could really see so much detail, at least for my eyes. Anyway, I was just really uh, astounded. Had always thought that one day I would like to have that combination of having uh, a McCassagrain and uh, and a Bino viewer. But uh, you know, like like you were saying, you'd you'd be sort of almost living in uh, alignment, uh, you know, purgatory because <laughs> you'd have a lot of different uh, lenses and prisms and that to make sure we're we're aligned to get it right i, I don't know how long that person spent lining it all up uh, to get it working properly but i remember those views were uh were quite spectacular yeah a lot of people talk about the like all like image like the views you get through bino viewers almost take on a, a 3d effect um and and i can say that like images especially like clusters open clusters seem to have more depth to them but the other thing that really jumps out is the image scale really increases with these. So objects appear larger uh, using two eyes. Um, and then that comfort aspect, you know, we talked about this last week when we recorded about the comfort aspect. Like if you want, if you want to make your site darker, get a chair because you'll be more comfortable and you can see more. Well, when you're viewing with two eyes, yeah. you're increasing that comfort factor again. And I don't think it necessarily uh, allows you to go uh, you know, deeper in terms of magnitude, but I do think that it allows you to see more subtle detail in the objects because again, your, your comfort level is, is perfect. You know, you don't have to stop looking through the eyepiece to give your eyes, you know, a break. Cause you're, you know, you're squinting with one eye closed and you, you're just looking like you look at anything with a bino viewer, both eyes are open. So therefore you could just, you know, you know, I guess literally you could not take your eye away from the eyepiece the entire night if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fantastic. And, and, and imagine how great it will look when you finally get that 18 inch, uh, reflector that you've been pining for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's probably more of a pipe dream. Uh, you know, in, in 18 inch, like F3 or something like that would be pretty amazing. Uh, maybe one day, but that's nowhere, nowhere on the roadmap right now. Hey, look, I can offer you free accommodation for it. <laughs> yeah, guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah, no, I appreciate no that. problem. You can put up my place. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> no problem at all. Really, really. I just need the keys to it. and We'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of speaking of reflectors, um, seems like Phil placed an order for uh, for an eight inch dog. Phil's one of our one of our listeners and, and frequent correspondents. And uh, I think I think he's got an eight inch uh, Dobsonian, like the classic eight inch Dob uh you know altitude and zenith telescope uh but but from uh first light optics um their brand is stella lira which looks like it's a revamp of the uh gso line of of uh reflectors did you did you have a chance to to look at that new line they're they're putting out over in the uk no i haven't um it sounds like though that they come very well kitted and um you know that that line of gso reflectors is really, really 
you know, quite well known for good quality. Like basically, uh, like correct me if I'm wrong, but I think essentially like the Skywatchers, the Orions, they're really all like just rebranded GSOs with maybe slightly different accessories. Yeah. Although I think, I think Skywatcher makes their own mirrors. The rest of them use like the same mirrors. Okay. But I think Skywatcher mirrors might just, just edge out the other ones, but you know, they're all sort of mass produced mirrors. So, you know, probably variations in, uh, uh from scope to scope, uh, you know, could account for any differences. And I'm just reading, um, I'm just reading things. I haven't looked through too many of the GSOs. I've looked through a lot of the Skywatchers mm-hmm. and they've all been uh, really, really good. Um, but yeah, we, we just don't see as many of the GSOs uh, here in Canada. Anyway, I don't, I don't know. Have you ever looked through any of the GSOs? I think the GSOs and Orions are pretty much identical. Maybe. Yeah. I've looked through a number of Orions. Uh, in fact, Mike, you know, his is uh, his 12 inches in Orion. Um but uh, yeah, the only other reflectors, like mass-produced ones that I've looked through, are um, light bridges, ten inch and twelve inch, and uh, yeah, lots of sky watchers. Uh, again, eight inch and, yeah. and ten inch there too. Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of I'm, I'm thinking though the differences can't be can't be that great. Um, the one thing you know, it looks like looks like with this particular Stella Lira brand, it looks like they've, uh, they've made a few fixes to, um, you know, you know, as, as the generations go by, they, they do make improvements. Um, looks like they put a better focuser on it and, and have, uh, I think, uh, a fan and maybe some slightly, uh, better alignment capabilities and some better motions and that sort of thing. But I do notice that they're still using altitude bearings that are too small in my mm. opinion anyway. And that's pretty common amongst all these mass produced telescopes. They're, they're, they all tend to have undersized altitude bearings, which is unfortunate. Hmm. Yeah. I'm just looking at it right now. It looks, um, yeah, it looks like a pretty sharp telescope. Um, yeah. Nice focuser, uh, eyepiece tray. I, I always like those eyepiece trays on, on those Dobsonians. Um, they're just a real convenient place to, to have your eyepieces. Yeah, this yeah. looks like it'll be yeah. a really good telescope. Yeah, I I really think that where these um, these uh, type of daubs and reflectors um, perform best is in like that six to ten inch range, because I think that's where their uh, like their production is optimized. You know, so I think in those sizes you're really getting pretty good motion, and and the the undersizing isn't isn't as uh, as impactful. You know, if you're going from like, a, like maybe on the eight inch, they should be eight inch um, altitude bearings. And I think it has like six inch. So, you know, it's probably like 20% too small. So it's not like that big a difference, but they also make a 16 inch, which still has like the six inch <laughs> altitude bearings. So now it's like almost about a third as large as it should be. So that, uh, that becomes quite uh, quite impactful because when I when I looked at that line, I looked at the 16 inch and I got really excited, and then I saw that the altitude bearings were the same size as on as on like the eight, I think, or the ten. And I was like, oh, that's too bad because I would be excited because on the 16 inch, they went with a full truss design with carbon fiber tubes and a nice focuser, and and it's a pretty looking scope. But they kept the altitude bearings kind of small, and once you get into the bigger models. You want to have those uh, 
those side um, panels on the rocker box, you want to have those reinforced um, once you get much over, you know, 10 inches. And they don't do that on that model, unfortunately. At the, you know, eight, six, eight, and 10 inch sizes, it shouldn't, it won't be a problem. It'll be totally fine. 12, probably be okay. But 16 inch uh, telescope weighing, you know, over 100 pounds sitting on two boards that are just screwed through another board and a base plate are uh, not going to get enough support, I don't think, anyway. So you'd have to modify the 16 inch, which is, which is too bad for 2000. Uh, a, I guess, British pound uh, telescope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the collimation knobs on this eight inch too. Um, at least on the, primary. Yeah. they're, they're kind of handy. Yeah. Good. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm pretty excited to hear, uh, to hear what his, uh, what his reports are like. Again, I think eight inch is probably going to be about the best of, uh, of that line. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear about that. And I mean, Hey, if, if, uh, First Light Optics, uh, who I am a customer of, <laughs> First Light Optics wants to send me one of the 16s. Uh, I'd be happy to uh, to keep it here and, and review it very positively as well. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they'd love to ship one to you across the ocean. <laughs> I'm sure that wouldn't cost anything. Send it over by uh, carrier pigeon or something, I suppose. So, yeah, that, I, I always like sort of have always wanted one of those large inexpensive uh, jobs, but you know, once, once you get much above 12 or so inches, I think those motions become uh, difficult to, uh, to get just right. And, you know, you, you want to have nice smooth motions on the, on the telescope. Yeah. And it really like anything over 12 inches uh, really becomes um, a challenge to, to move like, you know, a 16 inch, um, you know, lifting that thing off the ground is, you know, it's doable, but that's a heavy telescope and moving it around, you probably want to start thinking about the, the wheelbarrow handles. Um, so, you know, you're just, again, you're adding a lot more to the, uh, the whole setup in terms of, you know, things you got to pack, things you got to use, but, you know, the views that I've had through 16s and 18s and 20s are phenomenal. Like, uh, I love, yeah. I love big aperture. I just love when it's somebody else's big aperture. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, I mean, it would be uh, it would be awesome to have something like that. I just I wonder how hard it would be to to tweak those altitude bearings. I hear that. Oh, one thing you can do with with these Stellaliras, and I I think maybe maybe even some of the GSOs is you can balance them using those altitude bearings. They kind of slide up and down, and uh, and the online reviews I read of of those scopes. Uh, are they that they are quite easy to balance and it works mm. quite well. I used to have one of the really old Celestrons that you could do that with. And uh, they used like a, oh, it was like a funny steel um, altitude bearing that was, I don't know, maybe only four inches in diameter. And it was almost like too slick and it was really difficult to balance. But I think, I think these ones are, are superior design by the looks of them. Looks like a, a pretty, nice uh way to balance the telescope because as you know in most jobs you know you change eyepieces and you got to hang stuff off the back or hang stuff off the front and you know it's nice to have the ability just to balance it just so which is pretty cool yeah yeah like with any telescope the the balance you know is an issue when you're especially going from say a big two inch to a, a much lighter inch and a quarter 
Um, so yeah, that looks awesome. You know, cause the other, the other alternative is you tighten up your, um, your altitude bearings and then the movement isn't as smooth and it, you know, you're not really winning the battle. Yeah. Kind of get that, uh, that, that jerky action there. And yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's not great. So, so yeah, yeah. So getting things, uh, kind of settled here and just need to get this, uh, this mount, uh, running a, a little bit better and then hopefully uh yeah hopefully we can we can smooth that out uh tomorrow night uh i think it should be should be fairly simple um for somebody who's as skilled as you are <laughs> well let's not set too high of an expectation here <laughs> hopefully yeah I, you know i a lot of this a lot of this stuff is uh you know they they do make it kind of somewhat you know re repair friendly so that if you run into an issue you can you can deal with it. So, um, we should be able yeah. to get it fixed. Yeah. I'm pretty excited cause I do love this mount and I, I thought about maybe like trying to send it back. Um, even though it's like just a, a few weeks out of warranty, but, uh, you know, I, I heard of extremely long turnaround times and people getting mounts back that weren't in any better condition and they end up having just to tear it apart and just, just clean it. That's all they did is clean it and put a little bit of lithium grease on there. And they were, um, they were good. So I'm kind of hoping that's, uh, that's all that's all that's required. So, okay. Well, uh, do you have anything left to add to, to this episode chain? No, that's everything. All right. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you for joining me today and thanks to everybody for listening. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>